0: I, uh, I'm i honored to be here. If I sound a little hoarse or tired I've been preaching a camp meeting all week and uh, <laughs> I have to drive back and close camp tonight in our last final service of the camp meeting which is always a you've never done that maybe you haven't but it's, it's always difficult that last night to know what does God want to have happen here and uh, to sum up what the week but we have seen an amazing week you believe in a God that does miracles? Amen. Amen. Yeah? Um, I, I was telling a couple of guys, uh, Ted and, and uh, Tom, about this week a little bit. But Thursday night, God led us, led us to have a, a healing service at the end. And, and we prayed. Pastor Dave Kingsbury and I prayed over. I don't know, just, just lined with people. But... Um, as, as I gave the invitation for healing, uh, one of the ladies in the congregation got a text message from her sister-in-law that her husband, this lady's brother, was extremely sick. He would had a, a surgery the day before and, and some kind of an abdominal thing and he was in excruciating pain and they were, didn't know what to do. And the sister that was in the service said, we'll come and pray for him. And after we were done praying for the people, some of us, about four of us, got in our cars and drove over to his house about six or seven miles from the camp. And he was writhing in pain. I saw it with my own eyes. And we prayed over this man and just left it in the Lord's hands. The next morning he called And said, when you prayed over me, God touched me. The pain left. It was gone. I drove by the house the next afternoon. And he was out in the yard. And had been riding his gator around. And I stood up to preach last night. And there he was in the service. And God had touched him. Healed his body. Amen. God is so faithful. A woman who has struggled with diabetes and could never get it under control. And every morning it was either spiked or low. And the next morning she came to prayer time and said, I got up this morning and my sugar level was perfect. And it's never been perfect. God touched her. God's so good to us. He's faithful. Amen. So good. I want to share with you a scripture this morning. Um, I preached this message about two weeks ago at my home church. And it's not a scripture I would choose or pick normally. But my pastor has a system that he goes through the scripture to preach. And I love that because it makes you preach about the hard things. But every time he goes away, it's a hard passage. And he sticks me with it. <laughs> in Genesis chapter 6 verses 1 through 5 don't try I, I wrote him a note he, my pastor, he was headed to the Nazarene General Assembly and I wrote him a note and I said I'll get ready to preach as soon as you tell me exactly what the first five verses of Genesis then, chapter 6 means and he wrote back some sarcastic thing about it I was off the. I'm on. He said, my professor's told me don't try. Here's the deal. It's this whole thing about the Nephilim and the sons of God came to the daughters of man. And and what does all of that mean? Were those angels or demons or what were they? And the truth of the matter, I'm just going to tell you right now, nobody knows. You okay with that, Gordon? And there's some things we get to ask when we get to heaven. But I will tell you this, I only bring that up to tell you this. There is an inference that there was something that was wrong with it. Whatever it was that was going on, it was. It seems to be the opening shot fired to say, God has had enough with this behavior. I will also say that there seemed to be Something about it that was lasciviousness, sexual in nature, and and apparently out of bounds from what man knew was right and wrong. Does that make sense? We know some things are right and some things are wrong. And our world has turned that all upside down. So we get to in chapter 6 of, of Genesis to verse 5, and he says, the first four verses are about that, all of that, and then in verse 5 it says, then the Lord saw the wickedness of mankind was great on earth, and that every intent of, and of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. So the Lord was sorry that he had made mankind on earth, and he was grieved in his heart, and the Lord said, I will wipe out mankind whom I have created from the face of the land. Mankind and animals as well, and crawling things and the birds of the sky, for I'm sorry that I've made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now these are the records of the generations of Noah, and Noah is a righteous man, blameless in his generation, Noah walked with God, and Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt from humanity, for humanity had corrupted its way upon the earth. And the Lord said to Noah, the end of humanity has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence because of the people. And behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. He goes on to tell Noah, build an ark. And that's what he did. So in this passage, I want us to look at it this morning from from a couple of angles. The first thing I want to ask is, what did God see? Over and over... It says, God saw, or in the sight of God. It says, and the Lord saw that the wickedness of mankind was great on the earth. He keeps describing this. I have had people, I have a, a dear loved one whom I've worked with for many years trying to, They, this is their sticking point. With really surrendering to God. I believe this person is a believer. They serve Jesus. But they have a hard time getting past the flood. And that person will say to me. How can a good God. Destroy people like that. There were little children. There were. Good people. And innocent people that never did anything wrong. And yet God destroyed them. How can he do that? And the passion that's in that is so real. And you may think you have a quick, easy answer. But it's not simple to answer for people. They wrestle with this thing. But what we have to understand is that God saw it all. And we are either, and this and this comes down to a, a matter of do you believe God or don't you? Because God is either God or he's not. And he is the one who spoke it into existence. <laughs> I, remember, I remember my dad would sometimes say he wasn't serious, He was, but he'd get upset with us. And he'd say, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. Now, he wasn't really going to kill me. <laughs> but there was a What was he saying? He was saying, I have an innate authority. And I have the right because I am the author. I can, if I write a book and I want to change the content, I can go back and re-edit it and change it. I can change anything I want in it if I own it. I'm... The author, and God is the author of life, and God spoke it into existence. Now you need to understand this is not just just a, a random act of violence that God commits. God saw the extent of sin. We can't understand this because we just we live in an age of grace. But sin was pervasive; it was everywhere. He says. God, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great and every intent of the thoughts of their heart was only, listen to these words, only evil continually. So God saw the extent of the sin God saw the intensity of the sin. God saw the arrogance of the sin. God saw the intent of the sin. And it was pervasive. Now listen. You can say, how can a good God destroy a, the humanity? But God is also a righteous God and a just God. And God, if God is just... He is good, (coughs) but you cannot be good if you're not just. God, if God says this is how it is and we violate it and you let him off, where's justice? We think of God as our Savior. But the Bible tells us that God is also our judge. Amen? Amen. uh, there's a story that was told in the Old West years ago about a young boy who somehow got caught. He'd been playing under a stagecoach and not realizing it. He he got attached somehow to it and the stagecoach took off and was dragging this little boy. And a young man saw it and he ran after it and stopped the coach and released this young boy. And he saved his life. Years later, the young man became a judge and a lawyer. But the young boy went on to become a criminal. And in due time, the young boy is brought before the judge. And when he comes into the courtroom, he recognizes the man and he knows that's the man that saved my life. And he said, he, he, he began to draw the judge's attention to that. And he said, I remember when I was a child and you saved my life. And he's smiling and he's thinking, I'm going to have his favor. I'm going to get off. I'm going to get off the hook. And this judge looked at the boy and he said, that day many years ago, I was your savior. But today, I'm your judge. And God is both. And God had every, I'm not here, I don't need to defend God. He doesn't need me to defend him. But in his defense, God saw everything. He saw that every intent and thought of the heart was only, continually. I mean, it can't get more clear than this. It It wasn't just a passing thought, it was perpetual evil. It was conniving and manipulating and defying the very God of the universe. There's a defiance of it. There is self. There was this indulgence of self. There was perversion. And God had had enough. So what did God see? He saw all of it was evil. What else did God see? He saw. It. I love this. He saw Noah. Verse 8. But Noah found grace as the King James. Probably the better translation of the Hebrew is favor. Noah found Noah got God's attention. That's the truth of it. It's It's, you know, it's pretty hard to miss. Noah found the favor and the grace of God in the eyes of the Lord. Noah, it says in verse 9, was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. And Noah, I love this phrase, Noah walked with God. We're told to walk by the Spirit and not by flesh. Listen to Hebrews chapter 11's rendering of Noah. Listen to this. And with verse 6, Hebrews 11, 6. And without faith, it is impossible. That is amazing. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For the one who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he proves to be the one who rewards those who seek him. Now listen, if he's the one who rewards those who seek him he also judges those who do not seek him. That's just the diametric opposite. That's verse 6. Verse 7 By faith know being warned by God about things not yet seen in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. What about Noah caught the sight of God? What about Noah made the difference? Because it's the same thing that gets God's attention today. It is a life of faith. I don't expect you to remember it, so let yourself off the hook but some years ago i preached a whole message to this church about faith and faith is the absolute confidence certainty that god is and his kingdom is real his unseen supernatural Kingdom is not just a reality. It is the source of Everything that we can conceive in the material world God spoke it in existence and everything that is and we are is a shadow and a copy of the reality of what's in the eternal heavens and It's ours faith Faith is that. by the way we we become living members of the kingdom of God when we're born again when we are born again, we become alive in the kingdom, and faith is you and I reaching in to the through the veil of flesh into the unseen resources of the kingdom of God and bringing them to bear on our world. That's what Noah did. Noah was a man of faith. Now, this blows my mind, this whole list of people, they're going, God, the... The Hebrew writer goes through this whole list in Hebrews 11, all these people Noah, and Abraham, and David, and, and, and this whole list of these great people, and people who did great things, and people who suffered great things. And in the end, these were people that never saw the reality of their faith fulfilled. Watch this the fulfillment was the internal living presence of God, bringing victory in their lives. They live faithful to God, but they never exist. They did, what didn't they get that we got? Jesus. Jesus Christ fulfills faith. His filling of the Holy Spirit gives us the, the ability, not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, by the Spirit, to live in faithfulness to the covenant that God has made with us. But here's what I think Hebrew 11 is trying to say. If these guys stayed faithful to God, if these guys stood their ground, if these guys were so convinced of the truth and reality of God that they never compromise, what's our problem? We we have been given everything we need, Paul says. This is fascinating. It says that by faith, Noah saved his family and he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. I hear people tell how Noah preached and preached and people mocked him. And then when the, when the door was closed and the rain came, they're pounding on the ark, begging to get in. There's no, there's no hint of that in scripture. That they were pounding on anything. In fact, Matthew 24 says that as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be with the coming of the Son of Man. But what, was it, what does it tell us it was like in the days of Noah? This is fascinating. You think you're going to get a list of all these horrible things perversion, sexual sin, hatred, bil- oh, it says, what were they doing? Being married and given in marriage, working the fields. doesn't even say anything that's sinful or condemned. Here's what I'm telling you. As it was in the days of Noah, they just ignored God. They went on doing their sinful stuff. This world's evil. We know that. But apparently the thing that God was truly condemning was not just the evil, but this matter of disregarding the authority of God for their lives. And we live in a world that he doesn't even get consideration anymore. I'm not talking about little things like no football games on Wednesday night because we have prayer meeting or respecting the church's schedule. I'm just saying, in general, there's no sense of God coming to bear on anything. But here's what it says. Noah lived so righteously before the people that they felt condemned for their sin. They understood when they got in the presence of righteousness how evil they were. Does that make sense? Noah wasn't screaming, you horrible people. He just lived a godly life. First Peter, I think it's chapter two, says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. That's what it calls him. He was a herald, one who spoke out, one who declared righteousness to the people. He didn't condemn them. He didn't scream you're all going to hell. He just preached that God is good. And he you are and righteousness is what God wants from us. And it listen. If we give the positive message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they'll figure out that they're they're in in contradiction to it. This is a call to be like Noah in our world. It is, I know, I know. So you can remember. Having the preacher hang us over hell by a thread, and the fires of hell are leaping up to get us, and we're gonna, we're gonna be lost. I remember this camp meeting I'm preaching at. I can remember, it's right along US 127, and the cars zip by, and every, it seemed like every year some evangelists would get up there and say, one of you tonight can pull out on that highway and be struck by a vehicle and ushered into eternity. Are you going to, well, why don't we just scare everybody? Our call is not to scare, don't, don't take, think me vulgar. Our job is not to scare the hell out of people. Our job is to teach heaven to people. It's not that there is no hell, it's real, it's a reality. They'll figure that out and we can tell them the truth. I'm not against that. But There needs this balanced, positive truth. God loves people. God sent his son not to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. God saw the wickedness of the world, but God saw the righteousness of Noah. One more question. What did did God feel? I think this is important. Listen to this. And, oh, I'm, I'm still back in, no wonder it's not reading right, I'm still back in Hebrews. Back in Genesis chapter 6. Verse 6. So the Lord was sorry that he made mankind on the earth. He, God, was grieved in his heart. Verse 7 at the end says, for I am sorry that I have made them. I I don't get any sense of delight in God here. You know, I've met people that seem to to take delight in the fact that lost people are going to be condemned. It's like they treated me bad as a believer and they're going to get theirs. God will judge them. That's that's not a godly spirit. God himself was grieved. Do I understand fully how that plays out? No, I don't. But I can tell you right now that God loves us as his children. Even those that don't love him, he cares for. For God so loved the world and he gave his only begotten son. For he was not willing that any should perish, but everyone should come to repentance. God's heart is tender toward the laws, And our hearts need to be tender. If we are thinking that we need to, you know, it's, it's like somehow we think If somebody has done us wrong, we have this attitude, well, God will judge them. And the very tone of what we're saying is, I already have, so I'll let God do it too. Um, We can't live that way. God's called us to have a tender heart. This last week, I'm not going to do it for you today, but God put a message on my heart. For this camp, and I preached a me- it was just a simple message on forgiveness based out of Matthew eighteen. And the truth is, if we don't have forgiveness in our hearts, if people have offended us, we can say I forgive them. But if you're taking delight in God's judgment on them, you really haven't forgiven. I think how we view relationships. With the wounded places in our lives is an indication of if we have the heart of god or not does that make sense it does to me i don't know why they know. oh there they are because jesus is both the savior and the judge i found this this quote the other day from justice antonin scalia passed away a few years back, but he was a justice on the U.S. Supreme Court. He was speaking at a commencement ceremony, and he said this, God assumed from the beginning that the wise of the world would view Christians <laughs> as fools, and he's not been disappointed. If I brought any message today, it's this, have the courage to have your wisdom be regarded as stupidity. Be fools for Christ and have the courage to suffer the contempt of the sophisticated world. Wow. Don't assume that we're going to be treated fairly. And don't assume that it is ours to judge. But when someone mistreats you, find that is the moment that you have to love all the more and be grieved at the pain in their lives. God saw the wickedness of Noah's day and he sees it today and he is faithful. But it is our job to reach a lost world with righteousness and a message of hope until the day he says enough. We don't get to decide that. He does. Lord Jesus, help us to be people of great faith. Noah's faith is what got your attention. Noah's belief in the supernatural kingdom. Help us to believe in great faith that you are able to do abundantly, exceedingly more than we'd ask or think. Father, help us to live with hearts of forgiveness and tenderness to the world around us. Not condoning sin, not in any way, but the very fact that we don't indulge in it will convict and show a lost world who Jesus is. Anoint this your word today, I pray. In Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. All right. Am I to close here? Let's, let's just stand together, shall we? Those of you who are online, you can stay seated. <laughs> There's a, the great uh, benediction of the church. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. God bless you. Yes.